0: Welcome to episode 232 of the IT Career Energizer podcast. My guest on today's show is a trainer, speaker, micro consultant, and independent open source developer. He is author of MobX, MobX State Tree, Immer, and a plethora of smaller packages. And he's on a quest to make programming as natural as possible. So, welcome to the podcast, Michelle Westrata. Hi there. So, Michelle, can I firstly ask you maybe to explain what you mean by making programming as natural as possible?
1: Yes. If you have a mental model of a problem, then programming should be as close to that as possible. Like, if you're building an application to solve a certain problem, then there's a technical challenge to solve and there's a domain-specific challenge to solve. Now, the domain-specific challenge problem, that is the thing you're actually building, right? Um, I don't know, you're building an uh, app to order uh, uh, taxis. That's the problem, domain-specific problem. But usually, as programmers, we spend a lot of time on problems which are general in nature. Um, how do I host the thing? How do I secure it with SSL? How do I manage my database connections? And the less time we spend on that kind of problems, uh, the more we can solve actual problems.
0: Right. So rather than the generic problems, as you say, which are you know, standard, we should have standard solutions too. It's more about the specifics. Exactly. So, Michelle, can you maybe share with us a career tip, one that the audience may not be aware of and perhaps should be?
1: An advice I would give is like, try whatever you can to raise solutions, not problems. And what I mean with that is that, like, as an engineer, it's very easy to raise a lot of problems to our uh, management regarding the problems we run into on a daily basis. Like, for example, uh, the test suite is flaky, um, they take too long, our stack is outdated, that kind of stuff. Yes. Now, the problem is that, like, as engineers, we often look at, like, this is a problem we're currently having, And my manager should make sure that I have time to to fix that problem. But in my experience, it just puts managers in a kind of an impossible position because now they have to judge about a problem. They have probably even less understanding about than you have. So what I typically try to do, and, and it's not always that easy, but I try to raise solutions instead. So instead of saying, like, our tests are flaky, It's better to say like, if I spent four days looking into this flakiness problems, I'm pretty sure that on efforts, we can increase our test suite reliability to 80%, something like that.
0: Right. So it's it's not only sort of identifying what the problem is, but it's maybe also communicating in a way that, that you're looking to provide a solution.
1: Exactly. Exactly because like we can make a better estimation of the impact of such a thing than the manager in many
0: cases. Indeed, and, and sometimes also from a management perspective, the ability to have um, options as well, so maybe more than one solution.
1: Exactly, exactly, especially more than one solution. Like in my experience it usually works very well to even include a worst case scenario a scenario you know that nobody wants, neither management nor uh, developers. But just to make it explicit, it kind of sets a nice baseline for the conversation.
0: So, Michelle, can you tell us about your worst IT career moment and what you learned from that experience?
1: Yeah, I have a recurring mistake I make. Is that when I work on projects and then you are addressing a specific use case. And while you're doing that, you think about a very far fetched use case which might be a problem in the far far future. And a mistake I make every time is that I put like comments in the code like when this happens and that and that circumstance, then in the future this is going to fail. And <laughs> why that is a mistake is that because like in a few years from now that case might actually occur, but then it will always come back to hunt you. And people will ask like, why didn't you fix it back then when you f- were thinking about that case? Yeah. And like the reason why I typically didn't fix it is because like at that moment there was no business incentive to do so. But I learned like it's better to leave those things just out because like, if you didn't think about it years ahead, that makes total sense to everybody. But if you think about it and you didn't deal with it, then it's not going to haunt you.
0: Very true. Yes. And, Moving away from your worst moment, can you perhaps tell us about your career highlights so far?
1: Definitely, I had quite some of those, um, but I think the coolest one is basically when I worked on MobX to solve a problem at my computer specifically, and then at certain moments, I figured like a lot of developers have this very same problem, that I open sourced it. And then it really solved a lot of problems for a lot of developers, and to see thousands of developers like being really happy about the solution you provided, and uh, seeing how that helps them on a daily basis—that's still, uh, I think, my uh, biggest highlight.
0: Yeah, I'm sure. So, do you get much feedback or much communication from people who do use your your code?
1: Yes, yes, a lot. Uh, occasionally on Twitter, are People at conferences coming to you and describing how it's it solved their problem, and then just realizing that that's probably only a very small percentage of the actual user base. That's kind of really cool.
0: Indeed. So is that something you continue to do? Yes. At a few months in time, I was like, I'll stop doing that, just because
1: it's like cost so much time if you add it all up. But on the other hand, I I
0: never could move myself to. Sure. So you quite enjoy the contribution and and sort of helping other people.
1: Yes. Yes, definitely.
0: Yeah. Okay. And Michelle, can you tell us what excites you about the future of the industry and careers in IT?
1: Yeah, um, I think we live in a really cool time uh, to be a software engineer for a few different reasons. Being a software developer has never been as easy as it is currently, in my opinion. And like on one hand, we can look at it's getting harder and harder because there's more and more technologies and there's percentage-wise fewer technologies or languages we maybe know about individually. But when you look at what it takes to build a product, we have never made it as easy as it is currently. Like if if you now want to build a mobile application or a website and you want to be hosted and secured with SSL and have payments involved and all that kind of stuff, all this commodity stuff, you need to run an application. I think that has never been as easy accessible to developers as it is uh, currently. So that's, I think, something which is very exciting uh, about this time. And it's probably only going to improve. That's what I expect.
0: Yeah, I was going to ask, do you you feel that's a trend that's going to continue? Yeah, I, I, I think it is. Are there any technologies that particularly interest you that that are sort of developing or you can see a a real practical use for in the future?
1: I think what React Suspense is doing for the web currently is very interesting because it's quite groundbreaking, although we we can't see the full impact of that yet. And on the other hand, the whole uh, no-code movement, like uh, Mendix or Webflow, I think that's also really cool. A, because it makes programming more accessible to a lot of people. And B, because I think, especially as software engineers, we often underestimate how p- powerful it already is.
0: Yeah, very true. We're gonna go into the reveal round now. We're gonna find out a little bit more about you and the way you think. Are you ready for this?
1: Um. Yes.
0: <laughs> right, okay. What first attracted you to a career in IT?
1: I think the interesting thing about a career in IT is that you will become a creator, but unlike many other industries, you have way less physical limitations. There are some limitations you, uh, to the things you can build in terms of uh, how expensive something is to compute or how many, how much memory it takes, et cetera. But I think as... Software engineers, we have to deal with way less uh, limitations than if you are, say, an architect. If you're an architect, you have lots of limitations imposed to you by the physical world. And I think as software engineers, we get to be way more creative in that sense. And I think that's uh, something that's kind of attracted me, like basically to be able to create your own world in which your rules apply.
0: Okay. And what is the best career advice you've ever received?
1: Uh, I think that's actually from my uh, dad, who's a a, a trader. And uh, he told me basically two things. One is, if somebody else can do it, you can probably learn it as well. Yeah. Many things, many professions, you can learn by just putting the time into it. That's the, the, the first thing. So just have that confidence that you can learn something if you really want to. And the second uh, thing is like, don't try to aim for the best deal or what would be, in your opinion, the best deal. And whether that's about commerce or project organization, or it's, it's true for every kind of interaction with other human beings. It's not to try to aim for the best deal, but to create a situation in which everybody wins, which is a different
0: optimum. Right. Yes. And the worst career advice you've ever received.
1: And it sounds almost contradictory to what I said previously. So I said you can basically learn almost whatever you want to learn. Uh, but I think what a bad career advice is, is kind of the idea of you can be whatever you want to be. I think that's not true. I think you should stay true to where your uh, talents are and also be not too ambitious, like go too far outside what seems to be feasible. I mean, it's good to have goals beyond what seems to be feasible, but like not too far because I think in that case you might be just burning yourself out and forget to enjoy all the are good things life has to offer beyond
0: career. Okay, so you, you set objectives that are attainable. Yeah. And if you were to begin your own career again in today's world, what would you do?
1: I would definitely start way earlier in being involved in uh, open source. I've learned so much stuff from just being involved in open source. Uh, just because of all the technologies you uh, run into. Much more than you do normally in your daily job, that you learn so much from that, and I also regret I didn't start earlier. with that.:
0: And is that going back to what we were discussing earlier about the the contribution and the and, and sort of benefit that you you get as a result of that?
1: Yes, it offers two things, I think: a you get in touch and you cooperate with way more people than just your team. Uh, and for that reason, you s- just see way more different sex. even though you see uh, probably only a very small, tiny part of it, one, a book is reported or something. You just get a way better idea of what is out there.
0: And what career objectives are you currently focusing on? Currently, what
1: makes for me working at Facebook very interesting is just the mer- mere scale they operate at. So they work with so many, with, with ten thousands of developers on a single cloud base, I think that's something which happens in very few places. And that's something which I think I can learn a lot from in terms of what does that mean for your processes and your tools and your stack, uh, that kind of stuff.
0: And what's the number one non-technical skill that has helped you in your career so far?
1: I think that's... Um, the ability or going through the effort of learning how to communicate ideas. I learned over the past couple of years, especially through public speaking, what the power of analogies is when it comes to (laughs) explaining very abstract or technical concepts.
0: Yeah. And what do you do to keep your own career energized?
1: If you run into a problem, or maybe not even a problem, but something that itches you, something that is way more complicated than it should be, for example. If you're into such a thing, just try to solve it, even if nobody is asking for it. And if you manage to do that, then, I, I mean, maybe you fail. That's, that's the worst case. But still, then you at least finally understand why it is hard. And if it's, it succeeds, that's very satisfying in two ways. A, because you could fix it in your own way and at your own pace, like because nobody was asking for it. And B, um, if you manage to do that, that just gives such a good vibe and energy, not just to yourself, but probably also uh, the team that
0: affects it. And what do you do in your spare time away from technology? Quite a bunch of things. So lately we moved to London, so
1: now we try to spend a lot of time in the weekends on uh, sightseeing with family yes beyond that i love basically everything that's uh, involves soccer either watching it playing fifa or uh, playing it uh, for real okay and i'm quite active usually in a a local church and i kind of love that just for the reason that It takes you out of the the tech scene and the successful engineering scene and you just meet a lot of ordinary people, so to say. Yeah. So that's something I love
0: to do as well. And, Michelle, can you share with us a parting piece of career advice?
1: Sometimes it's really um, worth the effort to go that extra mile and fix that problem that's maybe only itching you. Because if it's itching you, then it's probably also somebody else's pain. Yes, that's very true. Yes.
0: And finally, what's the best way we can find out more about you and connect with you?
1: Probably the best way is my Twitter account. I'm quite active on uh, on Twitter. So usually if you tag me there, I tend to almost always respond.
0: Michelle, thank you so much for joining me on the podcast today. It's been great chatting with you. Yeah, thanks for having me. Hi, Phil here again. Just a final few words from me. Firstly, I'd like to thank my guests for sharing their career tips, experiences and insights with us on the show today. As you probably know, there have been more than 200 guests on the show so far, and I'm continuing to try to attract new guests that can provide great insights to all of us. However, to enable me to do this, I need to ensure that the podcast continues to grow and reach an extended audience. And you can help me in doing this by subscribing to the show and providing a rating and review in whichever platform you listen to. Thanks again for your support. And until next time, have a great week. Thanks for listening to the IT Career Energizer podcast. To find out more about building a successful career in IT, Visit ITCareerEnergizer.com